0: This podcast is brought to you by the GOSH Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to the first ever series of GOSH Pods Goes Green. Over the next six weeks on GOSH Pods, we will be focusing on the important issue of sustainability in healthcare, looking at the issue of climate change and how healthcare practices are contributing to this emergency. Over the next two episodes... We are going to focus a bit more specifically on sustainability at GOSH itself. I will be joined by Nick Martin, the Head of Sustainability and Environmental Management, who will be talking about past and current projects at GOSH, including the Clean Air Framework, the declaration of a climate emergency, and the pledges that GOSH has made towards a net zero future. We hope you enjoy listening. So thank you very much, Nick, for coming on the show today.
1: It's a pleasure, Emma. Nice to be here.
0: So back in March 2021, I believe that GOSH was the first London hospital trust to declare a climate and healthcare emergency. And with it, it outlined a plan to become carbon neutral. And this was clearly a big step in terms of identifying the magnitude of the issues facing us and our intention to address these issues. But I think from my reading that GOSH has actually had a sustainability program in place long before this declaration was made. So I was hoping you could give me a bit of the background to sustainability at GOSH.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I'd say probably over the last 10 or so years, there's been a degree of focus on sustainability, being limited resource around it, but this is before before I was at GOSH, but Clearly staff were very committed back then as well. I think we had a small group of green champions that would meet every couple of months in the lagoon and mainly working on energy reduction and things like that. And also learning, upskilling themselves in terms of knowledge. And we've also had sustainable development management plans probably since about 2010. Every four years they're changing. We're actually getting a new one in 2023. We're creating a new one now. But until about four years ago, that was when the trust created a dedicated role, head of sustainability. I was lucky enough to get that job. And I think things in terms of focus have, uh, have probably moved on a lot in the last four, four and a half or so years. We've got a small team now that includes uh, Charlotte's the uh, sustainability project manager, Magalie, she's a project lead for placemaking. So she's an architectural background and focuses on broader impacts on health and the environment of the public realm and the physical spaces that, that we sort of inhabit. And then Lily now, Lily's new to the team. She's part of the graduate management scheme and she wanted to focus on sustainability. So she's now too, so an evolving team, but really the whole time it's very much about staff from across the organization who've committed their time and their energy into taking these things forward. It can't just happen through the team. And that's something I think has evolved as well over the years. Instead of the Green Champions group that would meet sporadically before, which was a great group, but there's a more formal structure around that. Now we have 10 programmer work areas that make up a holistic sort of response to the climate emergency. So travel, transport, medicines, sustainable care, a real focus on those different areas and staff within those groups work on actual projects that relate to their areas of the hospital that link to sustainability. Lots, you know, multiple 50, 50 at least live projects going on at the moment across those areas. So that's really evolved. And I'd say also that something in the last four or five years that I think really took things forward was the focus on links to health. For example, clean air, there's a really tangible link there that people really understand. So we started as a trust to, to commit to that and to build our confidence about how we can talk sort of publicly about the problems with clean air, which when I arrived there, there wasn't really the confidence to do that. So we focused on on building a framework with an organization called Global Action Plan, who are an environmental charity, a clean air framework. How does a large institution get from the position it's in to becoming a clean air hospital in terms of the emissions uh, around air quality locally, but also around how we educate ourselves and our staff and patients and link with our local community, and then advocate for change on a broader level, maybe with across the health sector. So the Clean Air Framework was a really powerful way of pulling that together, engaging with staff, and it gives us a way to measure our progress. So it's something that that is really good. And we've had lots of activity off the back of that. And actually the Clean Air Framework is now used, not mandated, but encouraged to be used by NHS England for all trusts in some of their estates reporting. So that was a real success. And as a result, we've got some projects out of that, which we could go into a bit later now also we work with north central london across the area we lead projects on that we've created publicity programs ride for their lives we cycled with other pediatric health professionals from across europe and the uk up to cop to influence the leaders up there so we're building out broadening out and getting our own house in order but also reaching out as well we have a board a sustainability board Program board. So that's uh, with the non-exec directors, with our chief operating officer and other senior staff, and our actual trust board supportive too. So, so, a number of ways I think we've embedded this as something that's more normal, that's more linked to health. And I think that Gosh now feels we have a degree of obligation to to be involved in a specific couple.
0: Yeah. So, I was going to ask, what was it exactly, or can you put your finger on what it was that prompted Gosh to go that step further? back in March last year and declare the climate emergency? And what are the implications of them doing this?
1: Well, I think it's a public acknowledgement of how bad the situation is, that we see that and that we believe something needs to happen, that we believe it will have an effect. The climate emergency is a health emergency, that hence a climate and health emergency declaration. We believe it will affect the health of people, of society, but of certain groups in particular, vulnerable people, children, and of course, they're, they're, that's a, a group of people we're integrally tied to. So so it acknowledges that we have a responsibility to to act, to talk about it, to raise awareness and to to make changes ourselves. It's a way of really committing to that change. This is the intention at least to commit and potentially lead on the change. So subsequent to doing this, we have become more vocal. We have maybe led more in terms of the NHS, which is, of course, the context there is, has also acknowledged this situation and has committed to some targets. So it's a way of, I think, focusing attention internally, staff who maybe don't know how to help. It's a mobilization, maybe internally and a demonstration that leadership see that and externally as well. Obviously, we said publicity, the fact we were the first in London, but others have gone ahead of us. So we're falling on from there. Yeah, so a way of motivating change on an individual basis, on a staff, team basis, a culture within the organization, but also a little bit of pressure on the leadership at the same time. But ultimately it's an emergency have to act now and it's trying to get that across, which is tough at times. And again, I suppose another way of saying this has to be integrated across everything we do, it needs to be formalized, systematized, et cetera. And I suppose in terms of implications, we have made commitments to reach net zero emissions as a hospital by certain dates, 2030 for the emissions that we control directly. That's basically our on-site estate emissions, and that's our building, heating, lighting, cool our fleet that we own, anaesthetic gases, et cetera. And 2040, which is a longer-term goal for the broader emissions that we're still linked to, we can influence, but we're not ultimately directly responsible for. So that's our broader supply chain and all of our partners, of course, we have the opportunity to really leverage broader change along our supply chain as the NHS does on a massive scale. So 2030 target 2040 very tricky targets. In fact, at 2031, we may not achieve. We hope we will, but it's very difficult. Some real technical challenges there around how we heat and light like the estate. We're reliant on a number of external factors, but we believe it will... Setting a stretch target like that will really motivate. It will really mean we've got to innovate and push to get there. It will require investment. We're going to need to invest seriously and be innovative about how we purchase things. We'd need to look at things in a whole life cycle perspective. Key decisions are going to have to be started to be thought about now, about how we change our estate, contracts, who we work with, the order of change that's got to occur. So implications there around decision-making policies and systems in the organization. But it all has to link, of course, to actions. And of course, other implications relate to our partners, who we work with, all the way along our supply chain, how we hold their hands or how they influence us. And, and the implications, we've made a public commitment. We are under pressure to to act on that, to not do things that are hypocritical or could be perceived to be. And that is very difficult in in, in these contexts. But I think that's the sort of the positive thing about the commitment that was made. We're now, you know, getting closer to, to formalizing some other elements and taking things forward. And But we obviously have to do it. We've made a public commitment. We've shown the link with health for our children. Yeah. And ultimately, it's, I suppose, an expression of leadership, an expression of confidence in, in, in the future, and a, maybe an openness to work with others as a result of saying that.
0: Sure. So those targets that we have set, the 2030 and 2040, they're targets for us as a trust, so for Great Ormond Street Hospital as a trust. Is that right? Yes, and that's right. They're actually slightly ahead of the NHS targets. They
1: are. Yeah, exactly. They're a, a number of years ahead of the NHS targets, and especially the 2030 target, which is our estate. That's very stretched. Some other organisations have done it, but... Yeah, that is ahead of the NHS. The NHS suggests between 2028 and 2032, organisations should be at 80% reduction for those emissions. So we're saying we'll go the whole way. But that is, yeah, as I say, it's going to be challenging, but we wanted to put out a positive foot forward.
0: And so when we talk about this commitment, we're talking about a number of different terms are used. So being carbon neutral or having a zero carbon footprint. For people listening to this who maybe aren't so familiar with climate change or with these terms, could you just explain exactly what we mean by the term carbon neutral?
1: Yeah, I mean, let's use net zero for the moment. So I think you can imagine a bath of water. Water comes in through the tap, and the level of the bath goes up. That's similar to emissions being released into the atmosphere and the the amount, proportion of emissions going up. similar to the bath with fossil fuels. And if we shut down the tap, we stop putting emissions out. We reduce our emissions, for example, through our energy, or we stop the water going into the bath, it stops filling. So you have less water or or emissions out there. And, And at the same time, there are ways of taking emissions out of the atmosphere. We won't be looking at that yet. That's removals of emissions in different ways, but ultimately We're going to need to reduce the amount of water in that bath, concentration of emissions in the atmosphere. And that's through putting less out, ultimately putting nothing out, which is going to be difficult for us, and then supporting ways of removing from the atmosphere as well. I hope that's
0: helpful. Yeah, very helpful. Thank you. And where are we today in terms of our carbon emissions? So right now, 2022 or 2023, when this podcast is going to be going out, Where is GOSH at the moment on that road to net zero?
1: Yeah, so we are just establishing a decent understanding, which will be ever evolving really, but a decent understanding of the emissions that we currently release. And we've got the two, the 2030 and the 2040 target. We're calling them the GOSH carbon footprint to 2030 and the footprint plus for 2040. And they involve different emissions. So we could say roughly at the moment, and this is approximate We've got about 16,000 tons of CO2 equivalent emitted through our GOSH carbon footprint. So that's our site, our building, heating, lighting, cooling, our fleet, our waste, our anesthetic gases, and our business travel. So it doesn't mean a lot, but 16,000 tons. And we've worked out that between 2020 and 2021, that year, and 21 to 22, we reduced by about 1.5%. And that's really to do with the fact that our, our combined heat and power engine, which is a gas-powered engine that we heat our building with, was off for a period of time. So we we got electrical grid electricity, which is a lower carbon factor. We reduced desflurane, one of our anaesthetic gases, and we also got some electric ambulances, which had a small impact on some of our transport emissions. And, and then with our broader footprint plus, which is the emissions really through our, our supply chain, our procurement, we are about. 50,000 tons of CO2 equivalent. Again, very hard to conceptualize. That will change. We're still working on that, but that's to do with our procurement of medicines, chemicals, medical equipment, non-medical equipment, and other things along the supply chain. And we reckon we've reduced that by about 4% over the last year, but really that's not really within our control. It just happened to be the things we purchased were certain things were less. And it's not a subtle way of working it out. It's just around spend at the moment. So we'll be looking at ways to improve how we measure that. So ultimately, we've got, yeah, a rather a long way to go. And for the 2030 target, it's very much going to be around reducing our natural gas usage on site from our combined heat and power engine. We can go into that in due course.
0: And how do we know what our emissions are as a trust? So the 16,000 figure for gosh and the 50,000 figure for external sources, is that something we directly measure or is it something that we work out using other parameters? Or could you talk me a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, it's really tricky. So we're not directly measuring the carbon, but we've got, there are sort of conversion factors but you can say, if we travel this many miles in this type of vehicle, we apply a conversion factor to the amount of miles and you get an idea of the equivalent of CO2 that's released. Similarly, we use this anesthetic gas this much, we use this much. But if we stop using that and use another, you may be able to reduce your CO2 equivalent, or if you did IV as opposed to gas, again, you, you can measure the, the reduction because of let you're using less of the gas similarly with waste different types of waste dream clinical waste they'll go through different reprocess different processes that have different equivalents of carbon associated with them and the main one is our gas and electricity we know how much on the site we use gas and electricity and they have a carbon factor a simple sort of you apply it you multiply it by by the kilowatt hours you're using and you get to understand roughly speaking, the equivalence in um, carbon. And we're using figures that come from the government, come from defro or bays. So we're able to do that. And we're it's early stages, but those figures are based on our understanding of the distances we travel, the waste we generate, the electricity and gas we use, et cetera.
0: Okay, thank you. It sounds complex, but that's a very good summary. You mentioned so far, you kind of nodded to a few of the projects that have been completed at GOSH already. I was just hoping you could talk a bit more about those. So the projects that have been kind of successfully completed so far to reduce our carbon footprint.
1: Yes, I think there are some projects that directly impact on the footprint and some, as we say, they may be educational or they may be about teaming up, grouping together with others to advocate for for change. And I think there, there's a number of things. So I suppose, let's say the Clean Air Framework I mentioned earlier, the ways that we impact on local air quality are, are often similar to the emissions that are going to be greenhouse gas emissions as well. So they can apply similarly. So the Clean Air Framework, we've trained some of our drivers to drive in a slightly different way that will generate less particulates from their vehicles, for example. Then that leads on to working with organizations, for example, with electric vehicles. So we now have some electric vehicles, again, guided by the, our framework a little bit. We closed the street to on Clean Air Day. We've now done that a few times and made a playground on the street. And the idea there is to be able to measure. We now have a measure measuring technology outside the main entrance, so to see if it makes a difference. But at the same time, we obviously get the chance to work with our local community, to organize that together, to bring staff together in groups, bring our patients out to exercise and play outside. But also to visualize how the street might look if it was an asset, as opposed to something which is currently detrimental, not really fit for purpose, similar to many hospitals that are very polluted outside. So hopefully you're setting a precedent while being able to measure things, the same time as working with the local community, et cetera. Right for their lives and another sort of advocacy thing in a way, but brought together 15 of our colleagues cycled to Scotland, but with colleagues from pediatric organizations across the country, bringing attention. In a very public way, saying that action riding, Scotland begets action in terms of the response that we hope to get. That's looking at really much showing that link between health and climate. And we got lots of publicity and lots of positivity in terms of taking the children's message onto the stage at COP and things like that. In terms of really practical things, we've now removed desflurane, the anaesthetic gas, I believe is completely removed now, but that involves reducing its use and building confidence around that. So that's to show reduction. We've got the electric ambulances that we didn't have. We're linking into to EPIC and EPR, promoting conversations around air quality, linking into actual real air quality data that relates to postcodes where patients are. To try and start a conversation around things they might be able to do to reduce exposure especially if it it might affect them particularly health wise so that's a nice new innovative project that's that's moving on yeah a number of different things but we're now moving well in terms of feeding into the next stages i suppose a lot of projects are never really finished they're ongoing and they have to improve but in terms of our estate We really need to understand how we use energy better. And we don't really have that insight at the moment. So we're looking at a new building management system that would allow us to start to do that. That will really allow us to choose the interventions we need to make to reduce energy on site. And if we don't, we're blind. We need to have that data, et cetera, first. But anyway, they're the kind of things we've been doing and are starting to move on with.
0: And what are some of the biggest challenges that we faced when undertaking these projects and how have we overcome these?
1: So the biggest challenges, I think there are lots of clear challenges. I think that let's start with the main challenge is often funding, especially at a certain point where you're trying to make change in particular areas where it may involve technology or different infrastructure. So funding is a significant challenge that might be ability to get external funding through grants, which are limited currently, or small bits of internal funding for small projects, possibly through a charity and things like that. So there's been positivity there working with the charity as well. I think engagement can be a challenge in terms of people are very stretched, staff are very stretched and there are lots of other priorities. Demonstrating that this is core business, our green champion structure, I think is really helping with that active groups that staff are going above and beyond by putting time into this. Yes, there are links to, to what they're doing in terms of efficiencies, in terms of costs, but these are again, are above and beyond, and they need to be linked with sort of more structural support for the projects. Otherwise it's just, it's potentially too much for people. The fact we're doing targeted sort of practical projects, I think, it's really helps. And bringing in partners, we get some pro bono support from other organisations, bringing in extra skills and things like that's really helped. I think the links, again, links into health, make it easier to engage and to get staff to commit the time they want to. And I think the desire of our young people to do this, that they've backed our commitments to, to declare a climate emergency, that they're pushing us and expecting proper change from us. But making the actual change, yeah, it is tricky. But I think engaging our executive management team, it took a long time to get them to commit to the climate emergency. There are different views on should we have absolutely everything in place before we make the commitment or do we just make the commitment? And that helps us with momentum. There, That's just different individuals at times and different ways of working. But we decided we should push ahead anyway because we and most people don't have all the data you actually need. You just have to take the leap. And making the case, I think, from different angles is often very important when trying to maybe influence our our senior staff and others in terms of resilience for the hospital, for example, in terms of cost, for example, in terms of engaging staff, because it's something that, that we want, in terms of our reputation, how we speak up beyond our ward. And sometimes executives and directors persuade each other as that work goes on. So you're presenting... The options as well and I think addressing risks to the challenges to acting and to not acting addressing these risks in an open manner and having a forum to discuss them was also very helpful in terms of some of the challenges that we faced.
0: Yeah absolutely and you've kind of answered this already in your previous answer but just if there is anything else to kind of add to it about What have we learned from these previous projects about how to approach and plan any current and future projects? I
1: think it kind of depends on scale. Some projects can be small and pilot, and they can go on in a discreet way with particular staff involved. Larger projects, I think it's important to get buy-in from appropriate parts of the organization. The staff who might be involved in delivering are on board, that you've had input from a technical perspective and other perspectives, and obviously appropriate sign-offs from other parts of the organization is important. You've thought ahead as to where you're going to need these sign-offs because it can slow things down. I think having our young people, their backing, and then making that really clear has been really important in taking things forward. I think, yeah, there's a degree of preparation that needs to be done. And in some cases, more than maybe we've done in the past for certain types of project, especially if the project's going to have a knock-on impact on how we run, potentially on costs and all those types of things. I think working with staff, making the projects really practical, staff coming up with the projects, trying to get a little bit more structure so they can have a bit of protected time, even if that's not necessarily formalized yet. But I think with more acknowledgement of what the different Green Champions groups are doing, this may be a bit easier to be able to dedicate. Some of their time to it and come under less pressure. But uh, to be honest, I think staff are just going above and beyond a lot of the time. So that does need to be more formalized. And I think, yeah, to work, maybe work more with broader other organizations and broader bodies, bringing skills from the private sector potentially, those types of things.
0: Yeah, thank you. I think those are all excellent points. And hopefully, something that we're going to be able to explore a little bit more in next week's episode. But today's just been a really excellent summary of where we are at the moment at GOSH in terms of our sustainability. I'm pleased to say that Nick is going to be joining me for a second episode next week, where we talk a bit more about the future and the steps that we are going to be taking moving forward to try and make sure we reach that target of net zero by 2030. So please tune in next week to listen to that. The team at the GOSH Learning Academy would love to get your feedback on the episode, as well as hear your suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on GOSH Pods. You can find a link to the feedback survey in the description for the episode. If you want to hear more about the work of the GOSH Learning Academy, you can find us on social media on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Or you can visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. Thanks for listening to Goshpods and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.